Hello and welcome to The Corridor here on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario and podcasting on Spotify and Apple Music. I'm Dinah Jansen. This news program features news from Kingston and area provided by local and regional journalists through the support of the Local Journalism Initiative and the Community Radio Fund of Canada. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to The Corridor. It's that joyously spooky time of year where homes are bedecked with haunting decor and folks across all age groups seek to bring their A-game to their costume designs for trick-or-treating, Halloween parties, or even marking Samhain on their calendars. And of course, others are getting their fill of their favourite spooky-themed music and scary movies. But if you're like me, when I watch my favourite spooky films, perhaps you wonder how sets and costumes are designed by the pros. Well, fortunately, Kingston Canadian Film Festival in cooperation with Kingston Film and Media and Visual Menace, a local design and fabrication company, are delivering a DIY special effects makeup workshop at the Broom Factory on Saturday, October 28th from 1 to 3 p.m. A great opportunity for anyone ages 13 and up to unleash their inner monster maker just in time for Halloween. And with us in this segment to chat about their work and this outstanding workshop is Devin Ellis of Visual Menace. Welcome, Devin. Thank you. All right. So, Devin, tell us a little bit more about Visual Menace and its work in film and advertising, interactive arts, and I understand even escape rooms. Let's hear more about what Visual Menace does. Yeah. So, uh, Visual Menace, we kind of do a lot of stuff here, but um, it's more on-site work and more collaborative with different facets of different communities. So for film, we did props, set, makeup effects, and uh, so, yeah, that mostly those things. And uh, then there's some stuff at Fort Fright, which is set design based. And it's usually more focused around set design, but because of what we have people-wise and resources, we trickle into props and makeup effects as well. Fantastic. And, and, and escape rooms too. Yes. Yeah. The escape rooms are here at Wonderland, which is where I am right now. Beautiful. And uh, downtown as well. And then we do some on-site ones as well. So there's one at the Marie Museum, the, um, I think there's two at the Communications Museum right now. And then there's some ones that are outdoor escape rooms at or those ones are all based downtown, but it takes you for like a little walk downtown as well. Fun, fun. And now, Devin, can we learn more about the work that you do specifically with Visual Menace? What What do you do on your day-to-day basis? Sure, yeah. Well, for Visual Menace, it really depends on what job we're doing. We did two movies last year. And for that, we built full sets for both of them. Um, and so I guess I did a little bit of a lot of things. <laughs> we did, well, we had to build a, let's, the, there was one at the pen where actually that the structure was outsourced from a different program. And we went in, we painted, we sourced all of, well, other people really found all of the furniture and stuff like that. But then we had built, Gosh, it was a while ago. Just a lot of the set design, honestly. 
um, other people do the electronics and things like that. And gosh, it feels like, oh yeah. So we went into the pen, we did, we kind of had to make the cells look as if they were in a different place. It was supposed to be Berlin. So we had to remove all of the English, but you have to maintain the artistry that's already there because everything, all of the graffiti from inmates previous is considered, uh, what is it like historically? Historically relevant, absolutely. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So basically we had to cover it up for the movie, but we had to maintain it so that when we took it down, it was still there for the tours and people to see like, oh, this is what this person was going through when they were in this cell. So I did a lot of that stuff, just aging and decay. And then at the other set, we had to build a room that was complete. You know, it looks like you're in a concrete box. So we worked on that together. We built out a hallway with all kinds of stuff. And then the makeup effects I did there was um, just some gouging and wounds and a bunch of different stuff. <laughs> Wow. So it sounds like there's a, a combination of different things that you get to work on uh, with a creative team and 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 collaborating with other teams as well. But uh, the work that you have to do to build in uh, new set design into sometimes already existing and very, you know, historically important um, infrastructure to make sure that everything's uh, well intact uh, as it should be, but also being able to build the set uh, to really capture the look or the mood that uh, directors and producers for film are particularly looking for. That's right. So normally we, if we're working with the escape rooms or whatever, there's, uh, or, or the set stuff, like somebody comes up with the concept and the energy and the vibe that you're going for. And then I just have to make sure that all of that criteria is met. So you know, like what type of paint am I going to use to make sure that when I wash this paint off, it doesn't wash off what needs to be left behind or how am I going to do this so that it's safe for the person in the environment or is it going to like for the makeup effects, do I need to use this twice or is it a one and done kind of deal? And then there's like allergies and all of that stuff that you need to worry about as well. And your environment is a huge problem sometimes. And, uh, yeah, longevity of the piece, like the escape rooms are a totally different story versus working in set because that's a very controlled environment and you know what's going to be touched and what's going to be broken and, and all of that stuff. Whereas in the escape rooms, there is unlimited amount of touching and pulling and and stress put on everything that we build. So it's crazy strong because we have no control over the players, really. Mm -hmm. And and makeup design, too. Like, you talked about having to create uh, makeup for folks where they might look injured or or dead or something like that. Uh, death can come in really remarkably grody ways. <laughs> so... <laughs> Tell us about the process of actually like, okay, somebody needs to be dead. Uh, how do I, you know, make this axe come out of their head and make it look like it's really an axe in somebody's head? Let's learn more about that. <laughs> yeah, an axe in the head is really involved, but uh, I mean, it's totally doable. It's just, depending on how you want to do it, there's like low budget and then kind of a more reasonable home style budget, which I like to work within because 
I feel like it's a bit more fun. And uh, for me, I like that kind of thing. So it could be as simple as just getting foam, carving, sanding, putting a nice coat of automotive, uh, like Bondo on it, sanding, 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 paint, and then get that on there with whatever the means are like. It depends. If it's a movie, you don't necessarily need to have it walking around. If it's a Halloween costume, yeah. then you're looking at a bigger headpiece, you know, it's, and then, uh, but like for the one movie, we had a scene where somebody was digging, trying to dig something out of their skin. So I had done, I, I luckily had already a arm cast laying around. So I, sort of made a silicone sleeve out of that, that the person, the actor could put their arm into. So it just looks like a fake layer of skin. And then within that, I built a bladder attached to a bloodline so that once they cut that open and started digging in there, I could use, you know, like one of those big boy syringes to, to push the blood into so that when they were digging, it was really bleeding a lot and looking super gross. And then you've got that faux muscle tissue behind there. And it was effective for sure. Like it, I think it looked really good. Oh, wow. This, it, you have like the coolest job in the world. You know that, right? <laughs> wow. I, I, so Devin, I'd love to hear more about one, how you broke into the industry in the first place. And when did you decide that this is what you wanted to do with your fabulous, fabulous life? But then when you decided, I really like this, I want to pursue this as a career. How did you actually, you know, start to learn how to do all the things you know how to do? Well, uh, actually, so I've always loved effects and stuff like that. And creature movies are my favorite thing in the world. And when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Jurassic Park. I still am. It's the best movie ever made. And uh, I, what, like when I couldn't sleep or whenever, I always had the special features playing all the time. I love the special features. I love special features of all movies. And it's really the downfall of the streaming thing is that it's just not as accessible. And I don't know if people are putting in that effort anymore. It's like, I don't know. It's very frustrating. But anyway, so I love that stuff. And I was working at Audrey's Costume Castle and Dancewear, which is now closed, which is sad. But they had they had a makeup counter. And I was talking to the owner about how I was really into this thing. And I wanted to take a weekend or like a couple of days off work and just take some of the product home and play with it just so I could really help customers and figure out like the best way to do stuff. And he liked that idea, but he was like, you know what? I think it's better. We'll send you away. So he sent me and the other girl who worked there away for like a makeup seminar. And it was so cool. And uh, the person who taught us was great. And it really just kind of like, made me see like, oh, this isn't so hard. Like it's, you know, like if you sit down and do anything, you can do it. You just really got to want to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So we went to that and I thought this is doable. And then after that seminar, I went and applied to makeup effects program at Vancouver film school. So I went there and it was a 12 month heavily focused program on specifically makeup effects and you cover also like basic beauty and you know you could leave that school and be 
a straight makeup artist who does like, you know, period pieces or weddings or it's more directed for film, but they do have a bit of a day-to-day sort of like high fashion weddings, that kind of element in their program, but it's mostly geared for film. At least when I went there, it was, uh, and, and really heavy in the effects. And so I went to that and it was great. And after that, I got in your final month, when I went there, you could do a massive end project, or you could apply to the local effect shops in town to do an internship. So I had applied to the places in town to do the internship. One of them accepted me as an intern. And that was when I first got to work in a professional effect shop, which was, uh, pretty sure it was called Schmincken. It was Toby Lindala's shop in Vancouver and they were working on, um, gosh, I forget the name of the show. It was about two brothers. Supernatural. Sounds familiar. Yeah. And, uh, and final destination five. And I'm over the moon because Final Destination movies are some of my favorites. I love them. And so that was just the best experience. And the people there were so nice and so helpful and so sassy and, you know, just like hilarious and fun and really want other people to do well. You know, they were like, you can anytime in life, you call me. I'll I'll help you because if you do well, we all do well. And I just really thought that was such a great way to look at things. And that's the way that it is with visual menace too and improbable escapes. I feel like there it's a very good environment for people. I'm so happy here because it's got that same energy where it's like if other people do well, we all do well. And I really believe that. And then after that, I moved to Toronto and worked there for a couple of years. Fantastic. So, so it, it sounds like to me that you've, you have to have a lot of uh, resilience and flexibility and uh, a heck of a lot of imagination on a day-to-day basis in order to be able to uh, make makeup really come alive, depending on the actual person and the needs for the film or, or television show in question. Yeah, and honestly, like, yeah, for all, actually for all of them, like the, um, there is always little challenges for sure. Like sometimes you want to head or not even you, but somebody else, especially in movies, right? Nobody cares what you want. It's about what the director wants or the producers or whoever, for the most part, the director though, right? Like you've got to make this one person very, very happy. And how are you going to do that? And if they want the head to explode, like the way that Quentin Tarantino wants the head to explode is maybe different than the way that some other person wants the head to explode, right? Like not nobody necessarily wants the same thing. And how do you do that? The fact, like, you know, like there's blood test day where you just go and you throw three different kinds of blood onto a sale because they want to be able to choose. I like the way that blood drips. I like, like Tim Burton, for example, I feel like when you watch his stuff, maybe the older stuff, uh, super cartoony, bright red blood. And other people don't like that. It's like really dark, rich blood. And so there's always an element of like, you can't, maybe you can, I don't follow perfect formulas ever. I do like to improvise. I do like to figure out 
what can I do with this thing or how can I make this work? And that works well with my brain. Some people are very formulaic and they just follow things and, and that probably works for them, but I'm not like that. Like I can't bake, you know, and that's kind of how that feels to me. And when we were at the pen, the director there was, I, I loved her so much and she was so spontaneous and constantly inspired by the stuff around her. And from the set point of view, she would just walk into our room and be like, I found this piece of garbage and I really want to use it. Can you guys make me something out of this so that I can reflect the camera in there and da, da, da. And it's like, um, you need to have it ready by two this afternoon. And then you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it kind of, it was like, all right. And I loved working with her because that is the kind of thing that feels so fun for me, but other people can find that kind of environment super stressful because it's like, look, you can't just drop this on me. I need time to think. But for me, I loved it. And it was a really great experience because she was like that all the time. Like at one point, you know, she wasn't feeling well. So she asked me to make her a helmet that could keep her head enclosed on the day. <laughs> and <laughs> just so she could cough in her own little bubble and like it's really weird and I was definitely shocked but like you know she was lovely and I I just loved her random requests that came constantly <laughs> but but that sounds like a lot of fun you get to do uh you have particular projects but occasionally these random side quests yeah, come up yeah, where you totally. have it's almost like creative little puzzles that you have to like figure out on a day-to-day -day basis and then uh ultimately make it work everybody who's here has to deal with that like with the all mm -hmm. of the projects that we do um from visual menace from all, all that stuff I feel like there's you know you get curveballs every day and I feel like our whole team is really good about how we deal with that and we collab really well together and it's really nice Amazing, amazing. Now, I do have to ask, I, I want to, we do need to move on to a discussion of the actual oh. workshops you're going to be uh, <laughs> delivering on October 28th. Uh, and boy, I could talk to, with you for hours. But I do have to ask, so what's the best low budget horror film that you've ever seen? What's your recommendation in terms of its visual effects? Oh, oh, my gosh. Uh, well, I really want to I don't know. I, <laughs> this is I really I really love like those old campy things from the yes. 70s. Squirm. Squirm, I think, is one of my top movies ever made. It's a really, really low budget. The one with the the worms that get electrified kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I love the sleepaway camps. I don't know. Those, those are from back like back in the day, and they're so funny and so good and uh I love them all you know I I love the campy ones I love I love the creature features I love the sci-fi stuff and you know I have worked with some people who do lower budget stuff and it's really fun like we one of the last movies I worked on I might have been the last last or second last was The Void and uh, I love Steve Kostansky so much. Like he's got such a great brain and he loves that kind of thing too. Just finding stuff and 
seeing something that some people would consider trash and it's just like he can turn it into something super interesting and so working on that movie was really fun and I uh helped him with uh his his letter for the ABCs of death back in the day and that was really fun too and the ABCs of death in general is really fun as a concept because it's each letter of the alphabet has a different director and it's a three-minute horror stint you know and mm -hmm. it, they're really cool it's directors from all over the world I'm pretty sure all over the world and I got to work on two of them and I it was really really fun because you don't get much but you get three minutes to make your point and it was really it's a really cool movie and I love short stories and I love short <laughs> stories too <laughs> Make your point. So uh, don't have premarital sex. Don't go into the dark, spooky basement That's to check out what that noise is. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> don't fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Oh, wow. What a, what a fabulous career path you have. Absolutely. So now, Devin, of course, on October 28th, you are facilitating uh, the DIY special effects makeup workshop at the Broom Factory in collaboration with not only Visual Menace, but KCFF, mm -hmm. Kingston Canadian Film Festival, and Kingston Film and Music. I wonder if you can uh, tell audiences that are listening in today uh, a little bit more about this upcoming workshop uh, in collaboration with KCFF and Kingston Film and Media. Sure, yeah. So, uh, I mean, like we kind of talked about before, there's so many avenues that you can do. And for me, I feel like do-it-yourself is so broad, especially now, like with the internet and and online ordering, you know, <laughs> it's easier <laughs> to get your hands on anything now. But I do think, and I like the, uh, I, I kind of, like I said, I like low budget. I like figuring stuff out for yourself. I, and so I felt like for our first one, we should start with kind of the lower end of the budget. So we're going to be doing latex um latex effects and that's going to basically be a burn demo so how to do a really scorched kind of like you came out of the barbecue over oh the top God. burn effects and uh it's fun it's effective and it's a product that you can play with like you don't I don't really want to put somebody in a room and be like, you have to follow this, but that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to do a burn. And if other people want to do that, they're welcome to, or they can just come and play and ask me questions. And I'm happy to help guide them in whatever way works for them. And then the other thing we're going to do is uh, some fresh wounds with uh, sculptors, wax or morticians wax. And mm -hmm. I like that stuff because, again, I think it's easy to get your hands on. It's friendly for skin types. Like some people do, unfortunately, have latex allergies. But uh, it's just kind of a staple in the industry, really. And then um, the mortician's wax is a different thing. So it will be better for people with more sensitive skin. And it'll teach you sculpting as well as applying an appliance. And that's why I like that one, because if we just came in and was like, here's an appliance, throw it on your skin, 
then you're not really doing the sculpting aspect. And I like to think about like when we build escape rooms, when I do makeup, when I paint a wall, I like to think about what's going on in this wall. Like did somebody get shot in the head right there and there's a blood splatter behind them or, you know, like, has it been here sitting in the rain for 30 years? Like what's the story with this wall? What's the story with this cut? And I think it just makes it more convincing. I think if people want to bring something that they want to look like, oh, is there a way to make this look like it's protruding out of my skin? Hopefully, if they bring the right thing, we can do that. Or we can at least talk about how they can do it when they go home. Because if you don't do that, I don't, for me, I have a harder time making it look convincing because there's no... I don't understand the story behind it. You know what I mean? And, and so therefore I don't build it properly, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So to get that extra level of convincing, I'm telling myself stories all too often. <laughs> <laughs> so with the, with the workshop that you'll be facilitating, uh, what can the participants expect to do and, and maybe learn? So, what will they what 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 outcomes what learning outcomes will there be for them my hope is that everybody will do all of those things so hopefully they will do a latex application of some sort so that i would expect like if you want to learn the burn you'll do the burn if you want to do some other kind of you know like if you want to do an old age makeup we can i can show you how to age with latex and stuff like that. There are other wounds that you could do that would be really convincing. So they'll be doing that on themselves. Or if they come with a friend, you can take turns applying on each other, but you know, time is limited and it's probably wise to do it on yourself. And then <laughs> uh, the other thing is the, the wax appliance they'll be doing. So they can really choose, oh, do I wanna make it look like I've had intentional scarification or do I wanna make it look like uh, a werewolf ripped my face open. Like this is, they're going to be able to decide their story and they can sculpt what they want, seal what they want, paint what they want, bloody it up and hopefully go home feeling comfortable and happy. <laughs> and and being able to use those uh, things even that evening because it's Saturday night and people are going to be out uh, carousing for Halloween parties on Saturday <laughs> nights so they can go home and be ready to go. Yeah. And so we're going to, we're, we're getting some supplies, obviously. So everybody gets their bit and depending on how heavy you go, maybe you leave with some stuff and maybe you use it all on the day of the workshop. And I can give people an idea of where to order that stuff and products, you know, like, like we were kind of talking about before where there's this like so much easy access to stuff. It's probably easy to find stuff that isn't very good. And so, uh, I should probably try and bring a list of places that I know to be somebody that I would be comfortable ordering from because I, I don't necessarily know every single supplier, you know, like, right. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess one last thing though, too, uh, I know that your partner is also in construction and you have a couple of extremely good looking, cute children. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder, do you, do the four of you just make amazing art all the time at your house? And what does your house look like? Is it a giant escape room too? <laughs> it's, 
It's, uh, you know, we don't do it as often as I'd like, but we try to like Halloween is always nice because we get down and do the pumpkins and everybody gets to get really excited. And uh, when we do something, it goes well, but it feels like there's not enough time in the day. <laughs> so hopefully we'll do more in the future. They're getting bigger now so we can, you know, do more. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Devin, for joining us here on CFRC and talking about your art and certainly talking about this wonderful DIY special effects makeup workshop happening at the Broom Factory on October 28th. We really do appreciate your time and, and uh, a little bit of a journey into the amazing work that you and your team do. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And that's a wrap for our chat with Devin Ellis from Visual Menace, who is facilitating a fun DIY special effects workshop on October 28th from 1 to 3 p.m. in collaboration with Kingston Canadian Film Festival and Kingston Film and Media. Folks can get more information and tickets by visiting the KCFF website at kingcanfilmfest.com. And now it's time for more in local and regional news. Over to CFRC Local Journalism Initiative reporter Chris Laurie with a report on City Council supports for harm reduction efforts for Queen's homecoming happening October 21st and 22nd. The City of Kingston aims to support harm reduction measures for Queen's Homecoming this year, in part by facilitating the extended operation of food trucks throughout the event. The motion presented, stemming from conversations between councillors and the Queen's Alma Mater Society, was to waive some of the time restrictions on refreshment vehicles for businesses participating in AMS events at locations approved by the City. This would mean extending the business hours for these food trucks to 2 a.m. This would take place throughout the University District Safety Initiative, that's October 14th to November 1st. This would also involve giving the city's director of licensing and enforcement the ability to revoke or modify the terms of these extra hours when necessary. The goal of this move is to reduce harm by ensuring participants in homecoming festivities have access to food and non-alcoholic beverages throughout the day. Counselors discussed the motion from various angles, considering how this decision could impact this year's homecoming. The intention behind this AMS collaboration for food trucks is harm reduction. Um, I'm just concerned that we are in someone else's kitchen here. Is this a Queen's issue? I, I do have some concerns about the overall motion. Um, one is that the 2 a.m., I am worried that the public is gonna hear we're condoning street parties until 2 a.m. Uh, and that will be the optics of this. My concern is that we are gonna be sponsoring this unauthorized street party with food trucks up until 2 a.m., which is gonna be a public thing, which with the recent last couple events that happened and with the attendance being down, attendance may go up because now they have some place to eat as well. I am very concerned about the optics of this. Because yes, we may not be sponsoring something, but we are allowing, we are permitting it. And so we as council need to decide what is it that we are going to permit? Because in the eyes of residents, what we permit is what we endorse. There was also an amendment added to this motion suggesting that these food trucks be restricted to Queen's campus. Um, I think it's pretty clear what this amendment is for. It's the idea that yes, Director Smith should have that ability to extend the length of time that food trucks are open, um, but personally I would feel a lot more comfortable if this were restricted to Queen's University campus. 
I know the idea is that we're trying to help disperse and spread out students. Uh, however, I'm not sure that having them in the community neighborhoods is going to achieve that. And I, I realize there's no way to know until we try, but I think that as a, a slower first step with the intention of helping Queens to, to deal with this issue, um, I, I would prefer this. It was assured that bylaw and Kingston police would be prepared to factor this development into plans for homecoming. So we will have a significant police presence as well as a bylaw presence. And if we do have the food trucks out there, they are going to be something that we are patrolling rather frequently. So I think that we could react very proactively before something got out of hand. Councillors also expressed the need for more communication between the city and Queen's AMS for future events. I think that AMS should be here tonight to, to speak to us if this is something that would really be helpful for them. I would prefer trucks to be kept on campus for lighting, for safety. I just think it would be a better move. And further, if AMS did this last year and they wanted to take it further, they should have reached out sooner. Here we are with a council motion, no staff report, trying to make the best decision we can. And they had every opportunity to reach out sooner. Um, Councillor Glenn, you've been trying really hard to collaborate with them consistently. I've, I've seen you doing this this work and staff as well. So I think that if we could send AMS a message respectfully, if you need something, let us know earlier, please. So I hope that that could be passed on. I am also disappointed that AMS is not here to speak because I was hoping they could maybe expand on what their plans were. With the amendment of restricting the location of these food trucks to Queen's campus, the motion passed with a vote of 11 to 2, adding to the list of measures being put into place for this year's homecoming. Enjoy homecoming, come here, be safe, uh, go to bed early and drink lots of water. Thank you so much, Chris. And now over to Katrina Johnston with a report from thekingstonist.com about the reopening of the Lunch by George food service program in Kingston. Thank you so much. In recent Kingston news, Michelle Dory Forestal, local journalism initiative reporter for thekingstonist.com, reported that the Lunch by George lunch drop-in program has reopened its doors beginning with a Thanksgiving feast last week. Closed to in-person service since the COVID-19 pandemic began in 2020, Kingston's oldest lunch drop-in program, with 30 people enjoying company and food for a sit-down lunch on Thanksgiving Monday. Patron Sarah Den Uden told the Kingstonists that they were very thankful for all the years Lunch by George fed and clothed them while they struggled, and that they are also very grateful for them opening back up for in-person dining, especially as the weather gets colder. According to the Lunch by George website, many of the patrons have some form of physical or mental disability, which prevents them from working. A few are elderly and in difficult circumstances. Many have been coming for a number of years, and Lunch by George is their social center where they know each other and care for each other. A survey done several years ago showed that most clients were on disability pension or welfare assistance, with rents consuming 30 to 50% of their incomes, the organization shared. Many have no cooking facilities, maybe just even a hot plate, and limited opportunity to cook in a functional kitchen. Other patrons are only temporary. They are those who are employable but are having difficulty finding work. The website points out that they use the services until their status improves or they move to another community with better employment prospects. When the pandemic started in March of 2020, we closed our doors officially with the hope that this would pass and we would open again the following week, Lunch by George board member Savula Stilianu said. 
We really didn't know this was permanent and the pandemic was sticking around for a while. We have tried over the past three years, three separate times to reopen when the pandemic slowed. And there have been glimmers of hope where we thought, okay, now's the chance we'll reopen. Stilianu added that clients have continued to use the takeout service, but they have expressed a longing to return to in-person dining. They've missed not only the fellowship with people who come there, but with our volunteers as well and with our staff, connections do form. Den Uden told the Kingstonists that they have many good memories of just hanging out, socializing with friends over coffee while lunch was being made, and that this is the first time they've been in the building since the pandemic began. Being able to sit inside again is a big deal for many people they expressed. Since Lunch by George's soft launch the Thursday and Friday before Thanksgiving weekend, Stilianu said the drop-in lunch has good numbers serving out 20 meals in person per day. She added that the takeout window is still popular for various reasons including an elevator that is too small to accommodate wheelchair users. She told the Kingstonists they were able to serve in our Thanksgiving lunch a total of 90 meals from the takeout window and about 30 people in and out in person over the two hours who were there for coffee, a meal, and dessert, she added. Stilianu added that the organization is always seeking extra volunteer help and financial support. They lost quite a few volunteers over the pandemic, and they always welcome new faces. She told the Kingstonists that while Lunch by George is based out of St. George's Cathedral, the group is secular and independent and are supported by the United Way of KFLNA, but the organization also depends on volunteers and donations. There are also openings on the Lunch by George Board of Directors, she said. You do not need to be a volunteer or a member of the church or anyone in particular. We're always open to having members who are interested in serving our clients and working to accomplish our goal of assisting the people in need in Kingston however we can. Pre-COVID, Lunch by George served about 100 people daily and over 120 at its Christmas meal. The program operates five days a week, opening at 9 a.m. with coffee and snacks and serving soup at 10 a.m. and a hot, nutritious meal at lunch at 11 a.m. Normally, the dishes are done and the kitchen is cleaned up before noon, which leaves the hall available for other groups in the afternoon. This was Kat bringing you a local journalism report. Now over to Mia Leighton with more local journalism initiative reportage for YGK News. Thank you very much, Katrina. On October 12th, Zoa Khalid, local journalism initiative reporter for YGK News, reported that deteriorating diplomatic relations between Canada and India have left some students in Kingston, Ontario, fearing for their future in Canada. India has been the largest source of international students for Canada in recent years, with their numbers steadily increasing. For St. Lawrence College, international student tuition accounts for 67.6% of the college's total tuition revenue, according to the college's 2021 figures. Parth, an international student and St. Lawrence College alumnus, told YGK News that from an immigrant's perspective, the situation has filled him with daily anxiety about what news to expect next. He has also voiced concerns about potential actions of the Canadian government might take against Indian immigrants in Canada. Every day, the first thing I check on my phone is the news related to this. I believe that every Indian student in Canada is grappling with the same fear, hoping things won't change from how they were before. I constantly fear that my future in Canada is uncertain and that my future permits or applications might be rejected, said Parth. Parth also told YGK News that he begins many students take substantial loans from India to fulfill their dreams in Canada, and any action taken against them would result in significant financial losses. 
Most students also work part-time to cover their living and tuition expenses, and I believe that many live in fear of losing their jobs as well, he added. For international students from India, this situation is a cause for concern due to repeated warnings from the Indian government. The government of India has issued warnings about growing anti-India activities and politically condoned hate crimes and criminal violence in Canada. While it does not discourage travel to Canada entirely, it advises caution and highlights the deteriorating security environment. Vishal, a current St. Lawrence College student, also expressed his concern for the situation, as he believes it puts attaining permanent residency at risk. However, he remains optimistic that it will get better with time. International students from India form a substantial portion of Canada's post-secondary education systems, specifically for post-secondary colleges. International students contribute about $2 billion per year to Ontario colleges, outpacing provincial government funding. Glenn Volekbercht, president and CEO of St. Lawrence College, acknowledges the strain in diplomatic relations between Canada and India and the resulting anxiety and pressure faced by members of the SLC community. As with all global events, we are following news of the deterioration of diplomatic relations between Canada and India, and we understand that the tensions are causing anxiety and pressure for members of the SLC community, he said. He added that, We have reminded our students and employees of the resources and support available to those who may need help, regardless of their direct ties to the situation. We will continue to offer our support and uphold our values in all that we do. Queen's University says it's also working to support students affected by the ongoing diplomatic crisis. Dr. Sandra Den-Otter, Vice Provost Global Engagement, reaffirmed Queen's University's commitment to fostering an inclusive community that values diversity amongst its students, faculty, and staff, including those with connections to India. I understand that this situation may cause uncertainty and stress to many in our community, especially members from or who have close connections to India. I want to emphasize that you are welcome here and that Queen's is committed to supporting your well-being, safety, and success. A listing of resources available to faculty, students, and staff can be found below, Dr. Den Otter stated to YGK News. And now we'll pass it over to Ted Evans, local journalism initiative reporter for CJAI 1013 Amherst Island Radio with regional news from Loyalist Township. Hi, I'm Ted Evans, local journalism initiative reporter and news director at CJAI, Amherst Island Radio, 101.3 FM in Stella, Ontario. Coming up are some of the top news stories from Loyalist Township. You can hear Amherst Island Radio's news program, North Shore News, on 101.3 Amherst Island Radio or online at cjai.ca. For showtimes throughout the week, check the schedule on our website at cjai.ca. Lennox and Addington County Council voted 6-2 in favor of relocating the two stone walls at McKinnon Brewery. The two walls constructed by the brewery in 2021 and 2022 are both situated along county roads. One is at Miller Seed Farm along County Road 7, and the other is at one of the brewery's event spaces along County Road 22. When staff became aware of the fact that the walls were constructed on county property, they commissioned a safety review and found the walls to be too close to the roads. Both walls were deemed as safety risks to road users. According to Road and Highway Standards for Ontario and Canada, there are recommended clear zones along roadways. Both walls are within these clear zones. 
In April, county staff sent a letter to the brewery noting the safety hazard of the walls and requesting both walls be removed no later than July 28th. In June, Ivan McKinnon made a deputation requesting that council allow the stone walls to remain where they are, but council turned it down. At that time, they granted the brewery an extension until November 1st, as the process of removing and relocating the walls is a time-consuming project. Ivan McKinnon explained the brewery's choices for the location of the walls. The main reason that we erected the wall where we did is because the barn right behind it is an event space, so we use it for hosting weddings. Uh, we recently went through a change of use process, I believe three years ago, which was approved by the county uh, to allow us to use that barn for uh, assembly occupancy purposes, so we can have up to 100 people there. We found after the first year that we held events there, uh, People would spill out onto the lawn, which is very close to the road, uh, which has a high traffic rate. And the intention of the wall, uh, aside from its aesthetic properties and, and the historical aspect, uh, was to create a barrier uh, from patrons that are having fun and partying and generally consuming alcohol from a high traffic road. And it's, it's done that very well uh, this year. At their most recent meeting, Council received another presentation from the brewery regarding the wall. McKinnon Brewery offered two possible solutions, including a guardrail on the roadside of the wall and an adjustment of the property line. Upon further review and consultation, staff ultimately turned down both options and took the matter to a vote. Director of Infrastructure Services Chris Wagger explained why adding a guardrail wouldn't help reduce liability for the county. If the guide rail's there, you know, does the risk go down? Um, the risk, I guess, of injury may decrease because, you know, if hitting, hitting a guide rail, it's meant to bend and cushion a little bit more than, you know, hitting a stone wall, but it doesn't remove the risk. Um, there, you know, the, that, that guide rail is then closer to the road, so it actually might increase the risk of somebody hitting it, but it might lower the, the damage caused, if, if, if you will, but you know, it could still cause a, a critical injury or, uh, or death. Moving the property line would involve moving the clear zone. Clear zones are attached to the roads themselves. This would mean moving the entire road. According to Wagger, this would be expensive, inefficient, and create even more problems with the clear zones. With the vote ending in favor of relocating the walls entirely, the brewery must continue construction related to removing the wall along County Road 7 and begin the removal of the one on County Road 22. For CJAI and the Local Journalism Initiative, I'm Ted Evans. Thanks so much, Ted. And now over to Jeff Gard, Local Journalism Initiative reporter for CFWN in Coburg about an appeal for community support after a break-in at the Coburg Legion facility. Coburg Legion Branch 133 was broken into Sunday morning. Legion President Rod Ingersoll says two safes were taken, which included a substantial amount of money, that would have been deposited Monday following a busy weekend that included their popular turkey and ham draws, three functions in the banquet hall, and the return of the Friday Night Dart League. The safes also contained chartered papers and bylaws for command. Uh, so it was a great weekend, and then to come in Sunday morning to find out that thieves had broken in through the front doors and pried the clubroom door open and pried the office door open and somehow got these two great big heavy safes out of here that had all of our money for deposit on Monday, which most of it, of course, we owe to bands, and most of the money that we haul in, of course, is, is going into our funds for donations to the community and whatnot, so that money's all gone, plus there was quite a lot of damage done breaking through the doors and whatnot. Ingersoll said the Legion was able to reopen right away, but they had to scrape money together for floats to run the bar. 
The theft has left the Legion in a challenging position to resume its regular operations, and it's appealing to the community for financial support. That can be done through an e-transfer to office at coburglegion.ca or by dropping off a check during club room hours from 2 to 6 p.m. every day. Donations are not eligible for a tax receipt as the appeal is to help fund the operation of the branch and not charity-related such as the Poppy Campaign. Ingersoll said another way to support the Legion is to become a member. Memberships are $60 for the year and available to anyone. You know, on top of the fact that we're fortunate enough with the new Legion with the fastest growing Legion in the country, the Legion is back on the upswing, but a lot of people thought that not just anybody could join the Legion and they had to either be a veteran or related to a veteran, but that's not the case at all. Coburg police request that residents in the area check their security cameras and report any suspicious activity, including persons or vehicles, that may have been observed in the area Sunday between 12 and 9 a.m. Anyone with information is asked to call police at 905-372-6821 or leave an anonymous tip with Crime Stoppers by calling 1-800-222-TIPS or by going on the website stopcrimehere.ca. Reporting for Northumberland 89.7, I'm Jeff Gard. Thanks so much, Jeff. And now it's time for the CFRC weather report for the Kingston area brought to you by Environment Canada. On Thursday night, we'll have cloudy skies with a 60% chance of showers and a low of 10 on Friday, a 60% chance of showers all day with a high of 15 during the day and a low of 8 at night. On Saturday, more rain is expected with a 60% chance of showers a high of 13 on Saturday and a low plus 5 on Saturday night. And the outlook for Sunday is cloudy with a 30% chance of showers and a high of 10 with cloudy periods at night and a low plus 1. Thank you for tuning into The Corridor here on CFRC 101.9 FM and podcasting on Spotify and Apple Music through the support of the Local Journalism Initiative and the Community Radio Fund of Canada. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.